say it together. However, to make it easier, I'll read it. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord add his blessing as our pastor brings us his word. Lessons from a Little Lamb. Um, there may be some here today who don't know that uh, my wife and I um, had the privilege of receiving a gift from the Lord in the form of a little granddaughter. But she had a lot of struggles uh, physically and then passed away on Christmas Day. Uh, but in that time... Um, that experience, the Lord shared some wonderful blessings, some wonderful lessons that came. And I want to share some of those with you today, just some of them. The first one relates to the first verse of Psalm 23, and each of them is going to deal with a portion of Psalm 23, one of the favorite Psalms of the Bible. And the first one says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, if the Lord is our shepherd, what does that make us? Sheep, that's right. Now, are sheep important animals? They're not really that important. I mean, they, they have wonderful um, qualities. And people, they're raised for their meat and for their skins and for their wool. And uh, so they, they can be important in that way. But as far as most people in the world are concerned, people aren't thinking of individual sheep as being important. But do we have to be important in the eyes of the world to accomplish something good? Do we have to be big or important or influential in the world's eyes in order to do something that makes a difference for God and for his kingdom? You can be very little, just like a little baby, who many people heard about and prayed for and thought about and, and wrestled with God about, and she made an impression. Now, what about you? You may seem small. You may feel like you're so inconsequential. Who really is paying any attention to you? What difference are you making? But do you know with God in your life, if you invite him to work and to guide and to direct things in your life, you can make a difference. You can make a, a, an impact on others. <clears throat> and so what should we do? We feel small. If we feel like we're not doing anything, not making any big contribution, what should we do? Well, first of all, 
pray. What does pray do? Prayer is the key in the hand of faith that unlocks heaven's storehouse. Are there some important and big things in heaven's storehouse? Yes. So all you need to do is to pray, and that itself can make a difference. Another thing is claim promises. Are there any promises in the Bible? The Bible's loaded with promises. And so claim those promises. Pray those promises back up to God. Not just for yourself, but for others and for groups of people. Even for your nation. And ask God to do wonderful and marvelous things in response to his promises. And then another thing is praise. Praise God. When you're praising him, it draws him closer and it allows him to do even more than when you ask for something. Praise him for his abilities to accomplish things. And then another thing, and this one, well, you may have to think about this one, and that is surrender to suffering for the sake of others. Surrender your life, your experience, to suffering for the sake of others. Now, do you want an easy life where everything goes smoothly? We kind of want that, don't we? We don't want to go out and find a flat tire on our car in the morning. We don't want the appliances to break down in the house. We don't want to come to church and find out that the heater's not working because the propane tank's empty. So we want things to go smoothly, to be nice. But is that what we need right now? Some preachers are promising that. They say, oh, if you just take and believe, God is going to make everything prosperous and wonderful. But is that what the Bible tells us? And is that what we need? You will have tribulations in the Scriptures. In fact, someone was... Uh, on the radio, I was listening to the Christian radio uh, in the last couple of days. Anyway, somebody was talking, uh, quoting different verses in the Bible, and they listed all these things that we wouldn't have if we didn't have troubles. Like patience. You wouldn't learn patience if you never had any problems. How about courage? Increased faith. Perseverance. And they went on. There's this long list. You could do a, a word search in the Bible, and it's amazing how many things we wouldn't have if God didn't allow troubles in our lives. So what, and what about for us living today, especially in this last hour? What's the big event we're looking forward to? The second coming of Jesus. Now, did he come the first time? Yes. And did he promise he's coming a second time? So if he fulfilled his word the first time, we can expect he'll fulfill his word this time as well. So he's coming again, and he gave us signs, and we see the signs being fulfilled, and we, we believe that he's coming soon. But what's coming before he returns? Well, there's a great crisis, the Bible tells us, that's coming. And we need to be prepared for the crisis. God doesn't want us to face that crisis unprepared. And it's going to be a crisis with a lot of trouble. And so we've got to get used to trouble now, don't we? In order to have the faith needed to face the trouble that's ahead. So surrender to Now, 
would you want to surrender to trouble just to prepare you for the what's ahead? Or would you like to, pre- sur- to surrender to trouble and suffering not just to prepare you, but it could prepare you and help other people? How would that be? That'd be better. That'd be wondrous. Because when we're talking about in God's way of doing things, when we're helping other people, it's not just for this life, it's for eternity. What a privilege to be part of that. So difficulty and pain, if met with faith, are tools in the hands of God that he can use to build stronger faith and to reach other people. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I'm going to be reading it in the contemporary English version, but you can follow along whatever version you have. I'm going to actually uh, be looking at a few different versions as we go through these different verses But on this one, I'm just going to be referring to uh, the contemporary English version. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, I am glad. Notice that word. I am glad that I can suffer. Wow. I am glad that I can suffer? Yes, that was Paul's attitude. But notice the next part. For you. I'm glad I can suffer for you. There was a purpose for the suffering. He says, I am pleased also that in my own body I can continue the suffering of Christ for his body, the church. Isn't that interesting? Continue the suffering of Jesus for his body, the church. When Jesus suffered in Gethsemane, in the trial, in the mocking and scourging and all the cruelty, and then on the cross... Was he suffering for himself? He was going all through that. He was receiving, accepting all of that. For whom? For us. So it was a suffering for others. Now, did he have a choice in the matter? Yes. In Gethsemane, what did he say? Father, if if possible... Take this cup of what? Cup of suffering from me. But, aha, so he stopped and he went on with but. He said, but not my will, but thy will be done. So he said, God, if there's another way that that the plan can be accomplished, where people can be saved, then, oh, I would love to get rid of this suffering. But. If you've chosen it, it must be the only way. And so your will be done. I've seen it where sometimes the only way one person can be reached is they see the suffering of another person. And so God allowed it. Now there's an example in the Bible, and that is, The man Jesus said was the greatest of all men, the greatest of all the prophets. Who was it? John the Baptist. Now, did God allow John the Baptist to suffer? He did. How first? In prison. Now, we might go back further. We might say that he suffered out in the wilderness because he was kind of alone He was 
almost like an outcast of society, but not quite that. But he was, he was alone. He was staying away from worldly influences so he could be, have that closer connection to God. That's a kind of suffering, we might say. But certainly when, when the king put him in prison, and then Jesus, did Jesus deliver him out of prison? Oh, oh I, he delivered Daniel out of prison. He delivered Joseph out of prison. Why didn't he de- deliver John the Baptist, the greatest? Why not him out of prison? Because the Lord had a plan to help other people. And uh, one of my favorite authors tells in the book Desire of Ages about how because the Lord allowed John the Baptist to become a martyr for the cause of Christ. Others who came along centuries later, people who died by the hundreds, by the thousands for their faith in Christ, looked back and they saw John the Baptist and they remembered that he was, to- he was said by Jesus, he was the greatest and yet he died and that gave them courage to put their lives on the altar too. Wasn't that something? Think of all the people who were helped because John the Baptist accepted the suffering. But why did those people have to suffer? Why didn't God just save John the Baptist and save all those other people so that they didn't die? Let's not have any Christians suffering and dying. No martyrs. Wouldn't that be a better plan? Well, there's an old expression among the the Christian historians, and it says the blood of the martyrs was the... Does anybody know? Was the seed of the gospel. In other words, every time a martyr died, what was happening? Unbelievers were what? They were watching. And what did they see? They saw a faith with a peace that they had never seen before. And they said, that's what I need. That's what I need. That's what the world cannot give me. That's what my pagan religion cannot give me. (coughs) And they said, that's what I need. And they sought after Christ by the influence of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if someone could get me a glass of water. I've got a tickle I just developed here. (coughs) Excuse me. Thank you. (coughs) So, John the Baptist was allowed because his suffering would help others. Can our suffering help other people? Can God use that today? Are people watching? They're watching. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, because Paul wasn't the only one to talk about this. This is a concept that Peter refers to as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Oh, thank you. This is going to be helpful. We just studied about being a servant last night, didn't we? Did 
Danielle's not just a hearer of the word, but a doer also. So here we are, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. Now I'm going to read it in three different versions. The first version is the New American Standard Bible. New American Standard Bible. And it says, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, that means suffering for other people, to build up the church. If you, let's see, let me read it again. I'm glad that, well, I'm reading, well, please. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Isn't that what Paul said? I'm glad. So he says, keep on rejoicing, Peter says, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Now, when we say, when we read here, it says, at the revelation of his glory. What do we picture in our mind? Second coming. Because when what, what is Jesus coming with at the second coming? It says power and glory and the glory of the angels and the glory of the Father. The revelation of glory. So we think about that. But we're going to see something else in another version that's going to help us. But even with just that in mind. If we share in the sufferings of Christ, that means we're allowing suffering to help other people with eternity. So here Jesus comes, he's got his glory, and people are going to be caught up together with Jesus. And if we've suffered to help some others, then there will be, among the people gathered with Jesus, people who have benefited because we suffered. Could that give you exultation? Good, good. Now I want to read it from uh, today's Living Bible. Today's Living Bible. It says, instead, be really glad. Because these trials, these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And afterwards, you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory in that coming day when it will be displayed. That's really good, isn't it? Sharing in his glory. We're sharing in his sufferings, and then we're sharing with wonderful joy, sharing in his glory at the coming day when it will be displayed. Now listen to the New Living Translation. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Did you notice that last part? His glory, sharing in his glory, or seeing his glory, when it is revealed to all the world. Now when Jesus comes, his glory is going to be revealed to all the world, certainly because it says every eye what? That's right, Revelation chapter 1. Every eye will see him with all that glory. But will there be a revelation of his glory before his second coming? Turn to Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1. Revelation 18 and verse 1. It says, After these things I saw another angel 
coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, has become a habitation of demons and a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now verse 4 is important. It says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her plagues and lest you receive of her plagues. Share in her sins and receive of her plagues. So notice, here is that last, we call it that loud cry that will go to all the worlds and all the religions and will say, come out of her, my people. And it says that that time the earth will be illuminated with a heavenly glory. Now the glory of God refers not just to his brightness and majesty, but what else? His character. That's right, primarily his character. And we could say it's expressed in his law. And in as, but especially in the life of Jesus, where the law lived out so beautifully, so perfectly. So here's the character of Jesus. He wants to have it on display. Now, is he going to uh, take over all the cell phone signals of the world and put a picture of Jesus on all of those cell phones? How is he going to display his glory, his character? In people. In people. Those who are following him, those who are connected to him day by day, receiving of his love, feeding on his faithfulness, as we saw in the Sabbath school lesson this morning. As we're feeding on his faithfulness, drinking in the beauty of his unselfishness, the Holy Spirit transforms us. That even the motives of our heart are transformed. And we want to do whatever it takes to help more people come in while there's still time and join us to go to heaven. Does that make sense? That's what it's talking about. So the first lesson is you don't have to be big or old or important to have a great impact on others. Second lesson, accept help from others. You know, sometimes we need help. Baby Josephine needed help from doctors and nurses and technicians and therapists and bo mostly her parents. Now look what it says in the psalm. I'm going back to Psalm 23. I hope you're keeping your finger there because we're going to keep coming back to Psalm 23. Look at verses 2 and 3 where it talks about green pastures, still waters, restoring the soul, leading in the right paths. So God is providing all these things for his sheep. And look at verse 5. Besides the nourishing and the guidance, verse 5 adds this, anointing the head with oil. Now, uh, people were, their heads were anointed with oil, like the high priest and, and others, uh, kings were anointed. But the sheep were anointed by their shepherds, I've read, in, uh, by a, a, a shepherd who wrote a book about this. And he said this sh the shepherds would put oil with herbs, healing herbs, mixed in. Because if the, if the uh, sheep had gotten an injury on its head or in its nose, they'd put that on and the oil would clear up the infection. 
So it's a healing thing. Do we need healing? We sure do, don't we? We need healing. Body, mind, spirit, we need healing. And God provides healing for us. How does he send that help for healing? Sometimes he sends it through people. People who are compassionate and thoughtful and understanding. My wife and I have felt so supported by this church in, in all the things that we've been going through. And we thank you richly. We thank you abundantly for all your prayers and your support in many ways, the gift that you gave us uh, in, our, in this whole journey. We just thank you for it all. Accept help from other people. Also, God sends angels sometimes too, doesn't he? Some of you could tell me stories about angels that have intervened in your lives. And he sends help through his word. Accept the help God sends through his word. Cherish it. Love it. Love him for sending it. And what about songs and stories? All kinds of things. God sends help. Accept that help. There was a girl whose mother was teaching her how to make little hearts. And she had made a little heart. And then somehow it got broken. And she came to mom and she said, Mama, my heart's broken. That's cute, isn't it? But listen to what she said next because she's paused and it was like a light came on. And she said, Mama, maybe it's at the broken places where the love can get in better. Isn't that something? Maybe it's at the broken places where the love can get in better. Have you got a broken heart? Have you experienced that? There's a God who loves you so much he wants to pour his love into the broken places. And he'll do that for you. The third lesson is, my wonderful parents never forsake me. I think of, uh, that of the ten weeks that our granddaughter was in the ICU, her mother went home only two nights. The rest of the time she was there 24 hours a day practically just sometimes only able to hold on to the fingers or stroke the forehead. But, but that was about it. But she was there. And our Heavenly Father says, look at verse 4. He says, in the darkest valley, you don't have to fear because I'm with you. My rod and my staff are comforting you. We all face dark valleys sometimes. Even Jesus did. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? That was a dark valley for him. It was hard, but he held on to his father, and his father held on to him, even though he didn't sense the father's presence, especially on the cross. But in your dark valley, God is with you, even though you may not feel his closeness. You don't sense that your prayers are getting anywhere. But God hears, and he knows, and he's going to carry you and help you, and he's going to work out his plan. So trust his word. Don't trust your feelings. Don't trust the circumstances. Don't trust your doubts. Trust his word and praise him in the dark valley. Number four. Look at verse five. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, you prepare good things for me when there are dangers all around. Joe had, uh, Josephine had to face a lot of dangers. Um, you know, they were all around. And even in the hospital, you know, in the hospital you can get infections, bad infections. 
Or you can have medication, the wrong medication given by mistake, or too much or too little or whatever, all the wrong kind of therapy that doesn't work well with you or whatever. But God prepared uh, blessings in the middle of that. Because, you know, it, it's, it's nice to have somebody on your side when you're going through trouble, isn't it? When you've got the dangers all around, it's good to have somebody watching out for you. We call that person an advocate. And uh, Josephine had an advocate. Well, she had two advocates. She had mom, who was very, very careful. I mean, there could not be the tiniest little wire going from a, a lead that was placed on her across her skin. If it touched her skin, a gauze pad was put in between the skin and that wire. I mean, everything was attended to. Nothing could touch this baby without her mom's permission. And then dad, well, he's taller than me and broader than me, and he was a powerful presence, I'll tell you. And if he questioned the doctors, the doctors listened. And uh, so they had, she, she had two advocates. Well, do you know that you and I, we have an advocate. The Bible says in First John, we have an advocate who is what? Christ Jesus, an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. It says he's with the Father, so the Father's an advocate too. So we have two advocates also to see us through the troubles, the dangers. And they won't let anything touch you that is not for your best good. Now, Jeff and Jessica had to allow some difficult things for baby Josephine. They had to allow the doctors to do surgery to do uh, therapies that were, you know, not always pleasant and easy. But why were they allowing it? Because it was for her best good. And your father, your heavenly father, he's going to allow some things that are not the easiest to handle. But it will be for your best good. That's number four. Number five, expect miracles. We saw miracles God did absolute miracles for Josephine. Even the doctors said it. Look at verse 5. It says, my cup overflows. Now what does that mean? That means I've got more than I expected. Even more than I, than I need in a sense. It overflows. God does special things for me. You know, God loves to do the unexpected. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. God will do exceedingly what? Abundantly. Above all that you ask or think. God loves to do more and more and more for those who will trust him and expect miracles. And he'll do miracles for you, but not all the time. At least not the ones you expect all the time. Who would expect that baby Josephine would die after God had done a miracle to keep her alive? Who would expect that? We didn't. But then I got to thinking, if the Lord healed baby Josephine at the end, and now she was all better and went home and everything's great, then of those 105 people who came to her memorial service, and how many of them Probably like 75% had never been in an Adventist church before. And how many of them had never been in any church before, never even heard the Bible read before? How many of them would have come to church? How many of them would have heard? 
God has a bigger plan than what we often are thinking about. And he's working out things that may seem very difficult, but they may be very great. And the last lesson, number six. The best place for me as is, is to be as close to my father as I can be. In the course of things, the general approach for the doctors dealing with babies in ICU is they put them in a crib and they sit them there and they immobilize them and they hook them up to all the things they need to be hooked up to. At one time, there were, was it two or three poles with IVs all over them and at least 14 different things ready to be plugged into Josephine whatever time they needed them. Besides the ECMO and the all the other stuff. So here's all of that. And, and the baby's just laying there and all you can do is touch its hand or its forehead. But um, eventually they worked it out so that the mother could lay next to the baby and hold her, be present a little bit closer. And then eventually they unplug some of the things and they let her hold the baby like this. And they noticed that when she was holding the baby, things got better. And then they worked it out so they could put the baby right on mama's chest. And sometimes on dad's chest. And they saw that the numbers went up 25%. And they, the doctors were amazed. They said, we're going to have to make this part of the protocol dealing with this baby here. And we saw that when Josephine was as close to mom or dad, especially close to their heart, right there, that's when everything got better. And do you know that's what your Heavenly Father has in mind for you? that you get as close to his heart as you can get and stay there. Remember we, what we saw about Joshua? He stood, he was there by the tent, and when Moses went home, what did Joshua do? He stayed at God's tent. He's trying to stay as close to God as he could. Because you see, that's the place of joy. That's the place of peace. That's the place of healing as close to God as we can get. Jesus said, abide with me and I with you. In the psalm, it says it this way. At the end of the psalm, it says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. So seek his presence. Appreciate his involvement in your life. Stay close to his heart. And so, these are the six lessons from a little lamb to an old grandpa. And I hope you can benefit from it. Because you see, the good shepherd is your shepherd too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the good shepherd the one who watches over us, the one who gave his life to be our Savior, your dear Son, 
We know that he represented your heart. That you want us close. You don't want to lose us. You want to do everything needed to make us yours completely and forever. And you're willing, oh so willing, to work through us and our lives, even our suffering, our hurting, to help others reach their hearts in ways that they could not be reached otherwise. And so, Lord, here we are. Help us, grow us, stretch our faith, show us your greatness, and help us to trust you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We turn for our closing hymn to number 361, I think. Is that right? 361. Hark, tis the shepherd's voice I hear. Number 361. We'll stand as we sing it together. benediction is taken from Hebrews chapter 13. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and 
may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.